Today's episode is made possible with support from the law firm of Best and Flanagan, a team dedicated to building uniquely close relationships with all clients, including individuals, businesses, nonprofits, and generations of family members seeking legal advice. Online at bestlaw.com. Best and Flanagan, lawyers you know. Here's the other reality. You have to sell a lot of children's books at like $7.99 each to pay for health insurance. Like, it's just not that easy. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine, coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship cultivating the next generation of problem solvers and innovators. The school offers undergraduate and graduate programs in entrepreneurship and corporate innovation, as well as community resources to support new ventures, family businesses, and corporate entrepreneurs. And now, by all means. Amin Asser was an entrepreneur in search of a problem. Then he realized the problem that had been with him his whole life, feeling different embracing his faith as a Muslim while also living his best American life. Amin launched Noor Kids with the goal of teaching children about faith and character. Initially, that took the shape of a magazine. Then came books and more recently, video programming. To date, Noor Kids has published 140 titles and has reached more than a quarter of a million people with its content. This social impact company operates under a freemium model. Some of the content's available for free online. Subscriptions are available for more premium content. The latest product from Noor Kids is Muslim Treehouse. Think of it as Mr. Rogers for a multicultural, international audience that interacts over Zoom. You can watch it now on YouTube, and don't be surprised if you see it soon on a streaming service or maybe even a network. Of course, it hasn't happened overnight. Amin has been working on Noor Kids since 2012. He brings corporate experience, an MBA, and the lessons of his childhood growing up in a Muslim family in the suburbs outside of Minneapolis. We grew up in, in you know, financially tra- challenged environments. I, you know, I can't remember a time when my dad didn't, for example, work two jobs to help provide for our family. We, we actually grew up in Crystal, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like many parents, my dad understood the value of school. And so he was like, okay, well, you know, we want the kids to go to a different school in Wyzetta. And so we couldn't afford that house. And I remember my dad ended up working two jobs. My mom also, just so that way we could be in that environment and get that education. Hmm. And so I always felt very much, I, I shouldn't say indebted, but felt a feeling of, I know how hard my parents are working so that way I can get this education, I should try to make the most of it. Sure. So, so your father moved to the U.S. from Pakistan, Chicago, then Minneapolis. Went That's right. Went to school in Chicago, came here, and actually worked for General Mills. That's right. What did he do for General Mills? Yeah. So my dad was a computer operator. Now, I want to pause for a moment and describe that because in like 1987 or whenever he started, I, I actually don't know. A computer was not the computer that we had today, right? right? It was like a mainframe computer. Didn't fold up into your backpack. That's right. And so he was one of the folks who started there as a computer operator. He used to work there in the evenings at nights and spent, you know, nearly 30 or 35 uh, years building a career there, 
and ended as a software engineer. And um, yeah, I feel really blessed to have had him as a role model for me. Now, you ended up working at General Mills for a time, too. Did you aspire to, to follow in your father's footsteps? Did you know you were good? Did you want to be on this corporate trajectory originally? So, um, y- you know, I, I, I would share a couple things there, right? So the first thing is my goal coming out of undergraduate at the University of Minnesota was I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, hmm. but humble to the fact that there's a lot that I want to learn. And if I want to learn, I should try to expose myself to incredible people that if I sh- rub shoulders with, I'll hopefully be able to learn more quickly. And one of the things that I realized was in Minnesota, we are so blessed. Companies like Target, General Mills, Best Buy, 3M, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, 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 I kind of like identified that General Mills would be a really wonderful place to start a career more so, so that way I could learn. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I was part of like, they had this finance development program where I spent some time, you know, in a uh, yogurt factory doing finance with a operation spin. I you know, spent some time as a part of their cereal division understanding, well, how do you do finance for a marketing function? And then I was part of the mergers and acquisitions and corporate venture capital team thinking about, well, company strategy and buying and selling companies. And so all of that, I felt, gave me skills and tools and experience that would help me in the operations, marketing, and strategy of my own business. So the whole time you were really thinking about that, that one day you're going to have your own business. You wanted to start something. I think so, yeah. And, 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 you know, you asked about my childhood, and I'll just share, you know, when I was, uh, I I think, maybe in the fourth grade at Kimberly Lane Elementary, I remember, for example, going to Joanne Fabric and making like these beaded geckos and then like selling them on the bus, uh-huh. right? You had and, that bug. Yeah. So like ever <laughs> since I was a kid, I was always kind of doing some of that. And yeah, I think, you know, I, I too wanted to be an entrepreneur. Did you, were you an entrepreneur in search of a mission? Did you have any idea what kind of business you wanted to start? No, no, I had no idea what kind of business I, I wanted to start. And I, you know, and I think um, it's interesting. Like, so what's the point? It's the point is, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur because I want to, you know, have that on my business card. No, mm-hmm. not necessarily. I think it's more of a, I like building things, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be business, right? Like when I see a problem, I want to try to build a solution. And so it's more organic, I would say. Okay. So you did see a problem and you did have an idea for a solution. How did it kind of crystallize for you that, that this was something you could attack? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. So uh, I, I want to pause and I want to reflect on uh, two things, Allison. One is, you know, we, we just talked about how Minnesota has this thriving business environment, right? Best Buy and Target and Cargill and so on and so forth. 
And for me, when I think about it, I think it, it's a function of the environment, right? There's something about Minnesota that is unique. Could be work ethic. It could be our winters. It could be, you know, our community. We have a lot of time to think about work while uh, we're holed up during the winter, huh? Yeah, potentially, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and I think we're also humble people, So, for, for example. Similarly, I think because of my experience growing up in Minnesota, it led me to discovering a unique problem. So I grew up in Maple Grove. I was one of very few Muslim kids at that time. Mm -hmm. I remember my sister, when she went to Wyzetta High School, she was the first girl ever to wear a hijab at Wyzetta High School. And I remember, for example, the school counselor telling my parents, hey, she can wear a hijab, but just know that, like, there could be some, like, people who are not happy about it. And, like, as a school, we're not 100% sure what we're going to do. That was, again, mm. a while ago. And, and how, what was her experience? You know, I, I don't know. I can't speak to that. Uh, but I can tell you about my experience, right? So, for example, for me, um, as her little brother growing up, I remember, for example, playing baseball and how my mom would come and she would sit in the stands and she would cheer. And then friends would tease her. They'd make fun of my mom because of her hijab. Mm. And as a kid, I didn't know what to do. So I would tell her to pick me up 15 minutes after my games were finished because I didn't want anyone to see my mom. Mm. I didn't want anyone to know that I was a Muslim. I just wanted to fit in. And of course, like, look, in middle school, uh, now, like, I spend a lot of time on understanding early childhood education and understanding that, look, middle school is a tough time for basically everyone. But for me, it was no exception. Yeah. And so um, when I was in college and I was getting ready to graduate, you know, for me personally, Allison, that's when I also, with my own faith, began thinking about, hold on, like, this is something that I value. Mm -hmm. This is something that, I'm, that is important to me. And because of some of that experience that I had in middle school, I was drifting away from it. And I didn't want to. I see. I'm curious, how did your parents help you process that feeling othered, you know, wanting to hide your faith or, or who you were as the child of a, you know, a father from Pakistan, a mother who was Somalian? What, what do you remember about the conversations you had at home? You know, I think, I think there's two things, Allison, that are important. The first thing is leading through example. So I want to pause and just explain what I mean by that. You know, my mom, there was a time when I was a junior at the University of Minnesota. I was studying abroad in Thailand. And I had gone through all of these experiences in middle school and high school and felt ashamed of being Muslim and to the extent that I started drifting away. I remember my brother visited me and we were in this northern city of Chiang Mai. And it was like around midnight and we're walking through the street, and my brother sits me down. He says, I mean, I want you to sit down. And I was like, we're in the middle of a street. He's like, yeah, I want you to sit on the curb. I said, okay. And he looked at me, and he said, are you Shaheen's 
son? I said, what are you talking about? He said, are you mom's son? Who are you? And that wasn't a very important moment for me uh, because uh, when I say that, what I mean is I had lost a lot of who I was. I had lost a lot of what it means to be Muslim just because I was trying to fit in. But because of the love I had for my mom, because of the attachment that I had to my mom, my brother was able to say something that for me was kind of a turning point. Are you Shaheen's son? And for me, that was a lightning, uh, you know, like a light bulb moment where I was like, how did this happen? How did, I, how did I stray so far away? And that's when I think for me, a lot of my kind of renaissance with respect to my own, you know, faith and things like that occurred. And so I share that to say, my mom and dad didn't talk to me a lot about identity or discrimination or any of those things. But what my mom and dad did do is they loved me. And I think that love that they provided for me was, um, was powerful. Yeah, for sure. So you found your way back to your identity, and it sounds like you had a, a personal epiphany. At what point did you start seeing a, a, a business opportunity or a social opportunity? Yeah, so th- this was kind of fascinating. So fast forward, the year is 2011. I am doing corporate venture capital and mergers and acquisitions at General Mills. My older brother, Muhammad, the one who you know, helped me have this epiphany, he is a business school student at Harvard. And as a part of their business school program, they say, solve a problem that you're passionate about. So I remember my brother coming home in December, winter break, and us being around the table, and he's just like, there is no problems that I'm passionate about. And um, at that time, my sister, Shireen, my older sister, said, oh, well, you know, by the way, guys, I'm having a baby. And so while we're in this moment, my brother and I both start kind of thinking about our experience as kids growing up in Maple Grove, the challenges that we had, the journey that we're on. We thought, how about this little girl that's coming into the world? How is she going to be confident in her own skin? How is she going to be proud of the faith in her heart? And so that was a compelling problem to solve. One that both of us were passionate about. Now, the good news is my brother, being at Harvard at the time, had all sorts of access to smart people uh, and to pick their brains around, hey, how might we solve this problem? Mm-hmm. And at the time, Allison, there wasn't a sense around, hey, look, is this a big business opportunity? Can we make a lot of money? So on and so forth. In fact, still today, we focus more on let's solve the problem as best as possible. If we can solve the problem really well, then inshallah, what that means is hopefully there is a way for us to you know, be sustainable and, um, and, and generate some profit as a result. Sure. Didn't you join your brother at Harvard? You, you went there as well. I went there for a summer program, okay. and then I did my MBA at Berkeley. Okay. Um, and that whole time, were you thinking about Noor Kids? Was that already, you know, taking shape? Yeah. So, so, so this was fascinating. Um, we, my brother, 2011, have this problem to be solved. That's where we come up with this idea, Noor Kids. 
business schools, like every business school, Minnesota, we have the Minnesota Cup, for example. Yeah. Um, they have this entrepreneurship competition. So we applied for it. It was hundreds of people applied, and we were one of the five winners. Now, again, not Minnesota Cup insofar as like we only got 5,000 bucks. So we didn't mm-hmm. get like $100,000, right? But it was a badge of honor. It was a pat on the back to say, hey, you're working on something valuable. And did, it, did you already have the name? Were you already calling it Noor? Yes. We had, and what does that mean? Noor means light, right? So, you know, this idea of imagine you are, you know, at night on like Lake Superior in a boat and you can't see anything and you're feeling scared and you see like a little um, um, a lighthouse, well, that would bring comfort to your heart. Mm-hmm. And so in the same way, we want newer kids, all of our work to be almost like a beacon of light for these little kids growing up in North America, but now across the world. So, so yeah, we had this idea, newer kids. The, the idea at the time was, let's create a magazine, okay, a quarterly magazine. Once every four months, we'll release this magazine, and it'll be for these kids. And that was the thought. That was like version 1.0. We got the 5000 bucks. We never thought about this, Allison, as a business opportunity. It was a passion project. Mm-hmm. So in the same way that people volunteer at their local kind of Sunday school, this was our voluntary effort. So I would be doing like mergers and acquisitions by day, and then by night I'd be writing these kids' books. And by the way, sidebar, great way to meet a wife, right? Because, so what do you do? I'm like, well, I do mergers and acquisitions by day, and then I write children's <laughs> books by night. Anyways, so I actually ended up meeting my wife, Sana, uh, through doing that. She's an educator. She ended oh. up joining NorKids. She's a big part of our team now. Well, there you go. See, I know. it was meant to be. You know, um, we were very innovative with our hiring techniques. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, but so, so now, uh, so we start this in 2012, Passion Project Just for Fun. Fast forward to 2014, I go to business school at Berkeley. My wife does her master's in education. Again, no intent to make newer kids the rest of our lives. It's just a passion project. And your brother is still working on it as well with you? Yes, as an advisor, right? So my brother, um, he joined McKinsey. Mm. He was chief data officer, you know, did a bunch of things. So he's more of an advisor um, than being kind of like boots on the ground. Having said that, 2014, Berkeley, my mom, the one who I, you know, mentioned has all sorts of love, um, she gets diagnosed with an extremely rare form of cancer, mm. um, and she passes away. Oh, I'm so sorry. She's 52 years old, very oh, young. Oh, gosh. So, now, I, I pause for a moment, and I know that this is a podcast for business, uh, but... And I know that oftentimes we don't think about death because we think about it as being like morbid and sad and all that. And, 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 and it is. But for me personally, there was nothing that gave my life meaning more than understanding that my time is limited, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every one of us, we're all going to the same destination. It's going to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So question is, how do we want to spend our time? And so as my wife and I were getting ready to graduate in 2016 as students, finishing our master's programs, we had, you know, basically two different roads in front of us. One road was a, hey, Amin, let me go back into venture capital or something like that. Or I have this side project that I've been kind of working on for the last couple of years 
2016, a lot of interesting things happening in our country politically as well. Maybe this is a good time for me to focus on this. Hmm. And so, um, with the support of my wife, we made the decision to focus on North Kids full-time. What happens when you turn a passion project into a full-time job? We'll find out after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is made possible with support from the law firm of Best & Flanagan. Understand, identify, manage, protect, and realize the value of your intellectual property and other business assets. Expect a customized approach from Best & Flanagan with legal advice carefully tailored to protect your interest within the context of your overall business strategy, goals, and vision. Best in Flanagan, a legal team dedicated to understanding where you want to go and helping you get there. Local advocacy and advice from lawyers you know. Online at bestlaw.com. With Amin going all in on Noor Kids, the company began to evolve beyond books. Take a listen. So what it meant was, I would say three things. The first thing was, uh, it meant setting very specific goals for the short term, right? It was saying, hey, in two years, if we achieve this, then continue. If we do not achieve this, pause and reevaluate. That was number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, it was, yes, building out our business model to say, hey, look, what does our business model look like? And number three, potentially raising money. So let me double click on what this actually looks like. So in 2016, when I started working on this, we had maybe like a thousand people who were part of Newark Kids. And I said, okay, well, if I work on Newark Kids full time, we're going to grow at 10x in one year. So I need to be at, you know, 10,000 subscribers by next year. If yes, then great. If no, then, you know, maybe this isn't worthwhile. That was gold. And then number two, we created the model. We said, hey, look, instead of this being quarterly, we're going to do it monthly, which is great. Um, but also, we got smarter thanks primarily to my wife, who you know did her master's in education with a focus on equity and social justice. So she was able to actually build a curriculum and build a pedagogy. Curriculum meaning what we talk about, pedagogy meaning how we talk about it, such that we can actually really achieve this goal. Right. And, and the goal being? The goal being building confidence in your identity. Mm -hmm. I want to pause for a moment. There's so much that we could talk about here. Because when you talk about building confidence in who you are, if we double click on that, part of that is character. Things like honesty, patience, gratitude, grit, courage, growth mindset. Yep. Part of that is citizenship. That's things like caring for your neighbors, caring for the environment, caring for the animals, caring for your body. Why? Well, because if you feel like you have agency over your community, it gives you a feeling of belonging, which helps build your own confidence. And then the third piece is around building your own understanding of your own beliefs, uh, values, and traditions. So you made the, the conscious decision to go direct to kids and families. You weren't thinking of this as a curriculum that you were going to sell to school districts. No, no. And so one of the reasons why is because of what we learned. Um, turns out the single most important variable that impacts a child's understanding of who they are is their parents. Yep. And pause. I talked about my mom. Yeah. Right? Like, that's my own experience. I am who I am because of my mom and my dad. Mm -hmm. uh, and so similarly, 
in 2023, one thing that we really do worry about is parents have never been as busy as they are today. And so we need to figure out how we can give parents a helping hand, sort of like Mr. Rogers. Um, and that's, that's what we're attempting to do. And um, that's influencing a lot of our innovation, which we can talk about. But mm-hmm. um, back to kind of, you know, like this discussion, in 2016, when we were deciding to do this full time, we had to rebuild our strategy. So at that point in time, we evolved. We said, hey, look, this isn't a magazine, because a magazine, it's like willy-nilly, like, you know, oh, it gets outdated in the month of September, October. Newark Kids is a character-building program. Hmm. So we uh, kind of, I I shouldn't say rebranded ourselves, but we pivoted and thought a little bit about what is the actual value that we're providing and What's the deliverable? Exactly. And by, you know, establishing ourselves as a character building program, it also helps our consumers understand that, look, there's a lot of thoughtfulness that goes into what we're teaching, how we're teaching, how this all works. Mm-hmm. I want to share one last thing here on fundraising. So yes, at that point in time in 2016, I thought to myself, look, we should fundraise. And there was, I was in Indiana, I gave a presentation at a mosque, and as I was leaving, a guy, his name was Dr. Ahmed, he stopped me, he said, hey, you went to Berkeley? I said, yeah. And he says, huh. He says, well, um, I know you have a long drive back to Chicago, because in Indiana, you fly up from Chicago. He's like, why don't you give me a call? So I called him up, I told him about what we're doing, so on and so forth, and he says, okay, why don't you come up and visit me? And so a couple weeks later, I visited him, and he was on like this penthouse in Chicago, Millennium Park, Millennial Park, I think. And, uh, and he wrote me a check for $350,000. Wow. But Allison, I never deposited it. What? Yeah. <laughs> Why so, not? So, you know, as I reflect on it, like there's two parts. Part number one is I didn't necessarily feel like we were ready to raise money at that time. Hmm. Um. And part number two is what I needed, though, was that feeling of support that almost like, you know, in case of fire, break this. Right. And yeah. what it I validated what you were doing. And, and, and what Dr. Ahmed gave me was a backstop. He said, look, if you ever need money, mm-hmm. just come knock on my door and I'll, I'll give it to you. Have you talked to him since? Is he like, I can't believe you didn't cash that check? Yeah. In fact, we actually <laughs> just talked about a month ago. And, um, and, uh, and, 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 and I'm really, you know, blessed to have people like him and other people in my life because, um, yeah, it, it helped quite a bit. Um, do you still have the check? Do I you, do. Do you carry it around? I don't carry it around. <laughs> I don't carry it around, but I still have it. You know, we have, Good. I have like a box of memories and that's one of them in there. I'm curious also, you made the decision not to set Nor Kids up as a nonprofit, but as a, um, social impact company. Why? Yeah, so so look, I, I will say kind of three or things. Social enterprise, yeah, I should say. Yeah, a social, social enterprise. And there, there's, there's so much that goes into this decision. But I, I would say at a, at a high level, there's three parts. The first part is preserving optionality. Um, newer kids could still transition into being a nonprofit organization. That's mm. not off the table. We could do that. But once you transition into a nonprofit, you can't switch back. Right. Mm. So, uh, you know, as you get started, it's always better, in my estimation, to start as a social enterprise or as a company and preserve that optionality. Number one. 
Number two is, I believe that our team members in general, like talent is such a big deal, Allison. And so our ability to produce amazing content, content from Maple Grove, Minnesota, that's now being consumed in Pakistan and Qatar and Saudi Arabia and across the world. Like, this is the highest quality source of Islamic education in the world. We're doing it for Minnesota. Why is it? Well, I think these are some of like the, the uh, you know, using like performance-based incentives through equity, for example, mm-hmm. I think is really fascinating, right? So we're able to not just recruit amazing talent because we are able to compensate with equity, um, but also um, that can be a form of motivation that allows us to continue to innovate. Sure. And one thing we know, uh, every survey shows that people care today so much about the mission. They want to work for a company that resonates with them personally. They want to feel like they are doing something that matters. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I will say, though, the balance is um, you still have to get paid. Right. <laughs> right. And, 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 and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. And, uh, you know, as you're, as you're thinking about talent, this is where a lot of like the social focused organizations end up being a little bit difficult. Right. So what do I mean? If I'm not able to provide market value for my team members. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be difficult for me to attract them from all of their other opportunities. So I have to create a means for me to attract high quality talent such that I can do justice to the mission and make sure that we're creating the best impact as possible. So you have a team today of eight full-time people, eight part-time people. Is the main product that you are selling your books? So Is this, that how you make money? Yeah. Um, well, so it's, 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 it's pivoted since, right? So here's what we learned. Remember when I told you I set this goal, I need to achieve 10,000 members, and if not, then I'm going to stop. Mm-hmm. Well, in 2017, at the end of the year, I looked at like the numbers, and I was like, well, we grew from like 1,000 to 2,000. That's not 10,000. This, <laughs> this is not good oh, at all. Oh, boy. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, I'll give it one more year. And then I gave it one more year, and I grew like another 1,000. I was like, man, this is just... Harder than you expected. Much harder than I expected. And here's the other reality. You have to sell a lot of children's books at like $7.99 each to pay for health insurance. Mm-hmm. Like it's just not that easy. Yeah. Right? So now what I realized was, look, the problem that we're solving is extraordinary. The consumer that we are solving for is also extraordinary. Like we figured that out. But there's a third piece, which is around the solution. Maybe there's opportunity to experiment there and try to find something that might be more valuable for our consumer and that might generate more financial value for our organization as well. Mm-hmm. And so uh, COVID happened. And um, for the first time, we started doing online programs. Mm -hmm. And that was a new door that was open for us. And that is a big part of our future now. We talked about how parents play such an important role in the upbringing of kids. And 
what parent in 2023 could, you know, like who, who wouldn't benefit from having a helping hand? And so we spent a lot of time looking at Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, and the legacy that he, you know, left through the work that he's yeah. done. And we felt like, look, there's an opportunity to create something similar that is like a helping hand for families where we help children negotiate their feelings, understand the world around them, and get meaningful interaction with an adult. All through the filter of being Muslim. All through, yes, through a faith-based mm-hmm. kind of filter. Mm-hmm. And so we started doing these story time programs on Thursday nights. And it started with 100 kids. Like a then, live stream? A live stream. That's mm-hmm. it. And right? you're, are you on camera? It's me on camera. Okay. That's right. And if you go on North... Did you wear a cardigan sweater? I wore a zip-up hoodie, <laughs> okay, right? Good. So again, the 2000, modern version of Mr. 2023, Rogers. a little bit different. Yeah. And, and, and at first... It was set in my home. So there was a green screen, took a photo of my home. And, 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 and the goal was simple and deep, wholesome content focused on story, storytelling. And again, on these topics, character, citizenship, and beliefs. Well, that grew. Um, you know, we had nearly 10,000 people who joined that. And we're like, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty compelling. Just viral people found out about it, discovered it online? Almost all of our marketing is organic. Like hmm. we can't. We haven't been able to figure out how to, you know, profitably invest into ads. Like, it's just never, you know, turned the dial for us. Is it mostly YouTube for you? Is that where your audience is? So so when you say that, there's a customer and a consumer, Mm -hmm. right? So the consumer is the children, and that's YouTube. The customer's mom and dad, and that's Instagram, Mm. right? So we got to do both. Interesting. And then, of course, you know, we do quite a bit of email. So today we have about 250,000 families in our community. And that's a big deal. And by the way, for parents, we also have a podcast, the Muslim Super Dad and Wonder Mom podcast. Shout out. You know, <laughs> smash the subscribe button. Give it a review. Anyways, so, so fast forward now. We did this MVP, this minimum viable product. Literally green screen, webcam in front of me. It grew. So we're like, all right, well, what could version 2.0 look like? So two months ago, we built a treehouse. And Allison, I think that's going to be a big part of our future. What do you mean by treehouse? So um, we got a kind of abandoned warehouse in Brooklyn Park. Got Mm -hmm. super lucky to, you know, get this spot. And um, two months ago reached out to Jake, who filmed my wedding nine years ago. Okay. And I said, Jake, my vision is to create kind of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, but for Muslim kids, set in a treehouse. Why a treehouse? Because a treehouse is fun. <laughs> okay. And uh, well, it, Did you have one growing up? I didn't, but I wanted one. <laughs> right. Who didn't? Totally. Allison, you say that, but I, I, like, this is a big deal. So when I started at General Mills and I created our first ever book, it was called Schools Out for the Summer. We created this book and I remember going to this woman named Jean Hughes. She was the head of Consumer Insights for Big G Cereal. Now, Big G Cereal, Lucky Charms, you know, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Cocoa Puffs, things that kids stuff, love. Right? Yeah. I remember giving her this book and she read it 
And she looked at me and I was like, oh man, Jean's going to love this. And she's like, this sucks. What? And I was like, Jean, please, please. <laughs> what do you really think? And she said, no, Amin, think about it for a moment. Who are you creating this work for? I said, well, it's for the kids. She said, well, then who did you work with when you created it? And I said, well, the parents. She said, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. She said, Amin, if we talk to a mom and dad and ask a mom and dad, what would you want in your child's breakfast cereal? They would say, well, I want 100% fiber and 100% vitamin C and 100%, you know, um, you know, vitamin E and no calories. Right. And we could create that cereal, but a kid would hate it. Yes. Right? What we need to do is create something that's kid-tested, mother-approved. And so that lesson, even today, is the most important lesson I've learned with newer kids. Most of the children's content, especially in the faith-based kind of world, is a bunch of like adults who are talking down to kids and like wagging their fingers and saying, this is what you should do. And it's not kid-tested, mother-approved. Kids don't actually like it. Right. So when you ask, why a treehouse? Because a treehouse is fun. Mm-hmm. Right. So our treehouse, we've got a library, we've got a lab, we've got a story nook. It's outfitted with four cameras. It's super cheeky. Like we've got different characters who come on and it's fun. And um, that, by the way, is the most difficult part of this operation is making sure that it's fun. Because if any parent who's got kids in that age group, five to 12, I mean, we're competing with Mr. Beast, we're competing with so much other content. Yeah. And if we can't connect with them, really, then we've lost. There's no way we can win. For those who haven't experienced your books and your programming, is, is there a particular character you could call out or, or a scenario to give people just kind of a flavor of what you're producing? Sure. So one of our books, Mind, 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 where we talk about greed, right? Uh-huh. Thesis is too much of a good thing is bad. So how do we teach it? Story of a mean who is like in love with chocolate. He finds mom's secret stash where she hides the chocolate. When everyone goes to sleep, he goes, he eats the chocolate. And then he like falls into like this dream because he's like hallucinating now because he's eating so much chocolate. <laughs> he's developed the chocolate touch where everything he touches turns to chocolate. At first it's awesome. Uh-huh. Light poles, birds, everything. Yeah. But then things that he loves starts turning into chocolate. He's about to eat lasagna. He touches lasagna, he turns to chocolate. He's like, oh man, that wasn't very good. He grabs his fork, fork turns to lasagna, not mm. very good. His mom comes in for a hug and he's like, no mom, don't, please. I don't want you to turn into chocolate. He wakes up, parents find him and he realizes like, gosh, too much of a good thing yeah. can be bad, right? So that's an example of Are a story. you coming up with these stories or is that what your team is doing? Both, right? So um, I was blessed in that when I was at Berkeley, I had the opportunity to learn storytelling like more formally through a coach, Arena Isaacson. And so the role that I play in is with the plot, right? So when you think about a story, the plot is basically the, um, the architecture of it, the blueprint. I'm not involved in what words are on the page, what the story looks like. But I am involved with the blueprint because I think that is where the magic happens. Mm-hmm. Um, d- did you ever imagine yourself becoming 
a content producer. You know, when you started this venture, I mean, did you see yourself writing books, making TV shows, doing videos? No, I mean, I, I think for us, the focus is and continues to be relentlessly disciplined on solving the problem. Hmm. So the question is, how might we solve these problems in bigger and better ways? A, and then B, having our ear to the ground, talking with moms and dads, traveling, and really listening to parents as they discuss their challenges, and then articulating new problems to say, hey, what are other problems that we might be able to solve? Hmm. Do you and do you see that evolving? So right now you're you're working on this show, which could turn into something bigger. Um, do you have other, you know, kind of products or, or things that you're working on in the in the wings? Yeah. So um, a couple of things that I'm really excited about. So this 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 the this treehouse I'm I'm really really fascinated by because. When we think about the world of Muslim families globally, right? So now this is zooming out of the U.S. and Canada where Muslims represent 1% of the population. Islam is the second largest religion in the world. And our content is today being consumed by families in Pakistan and Nigeria and the UAE and so How many so languages forth. are you? Just English. Just English. Uh, okay. But um, I sometimes speak with an accent for fun. But uh, <laughs> no, I, so... So, so, so to that end, you know, what I like about the treehouse is that we have the ability to connect with families across the world. And so we really want to, you know, invest into that. Um, part number three is around community. So the evolution of the treehouse, we'd love to help create more, um, you know, sort of following in the footsteps of Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts to think about, well, how might we be able to create local communities? Because again, focusing on problems to be solved. When I've gone to places, moms and dads in 2023 are looking for human touch community as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's nothing that brings families together more than their kids, especially in a fun way. So that's another part of the evolution that we are contemplating. And then, um, you know, there, there, there's another chapter of Nora Kids that we are investing into, experimenting on related to animated video. So we have our first set of like super duper high quality animated video, the type of stuff that you'd find on Netflix that is going to be released this year. Mm -hmm. And our intent is... Where are you releasing that? Sorry. <laughs> We're not sure yet. Okay. Uh, so that's it's a case in motion. It literally is a case in motion. Well, so. the beauty of 2023 is you know you you can release it. You don't need a, a production partner or a studio to give it a green light. And and so it's media has become the wild west. It mm -hmm. really has. You know there was a hard and fast rule of thumb around how things used to get done, and that was create a script, create a you know uh, a production bible shop it around, hope to get some money, hope that someone, you know, picks it up, give away almost all of your ownership in it, and, you know, hopefully it gets greenlit for another season. Right. That's not what we wanted to do. I mean, we've got a community of 250,000 people. We really believe in this. So our thought was we're going to create five episodes ourselves. We want to showcase the value of it. And after we showcase the value of it, 
be in a driver's seat type of a position to say, okay, what do we want to do next? So that way we have a little bit more control, hopefully, of that future than, you know, um, giving it to someone else. Right now, the the 250,000 people, are they all paying for something? Are they all subscribers? They're not all subscribers. So our model is a freemium model, right, where families are able to join us for a lot of free stuff. We Mm -hmm. have a podcast that families are able to join for free. We have many of our live programs families are able to join for free. And then we also give people the opportunity to pay in to, um, you know, joining newer kids and um, becoming a member and getting, you know, privileges and benefits from that. And that is enough to sustain this operation? You're, you're taking home a salary? You're able to pay your staff? So, so it's a good question. So all of our staff is paid. Um, I uh, am the leader of the team. And so what that means is oftentimes I take a haircut. And, you know, as, as a CEO, you have to make a decision, right? That decision is, hey, uh, do I decide to, you know, take pay home? Or do I decide to reinvest? And I've been kind of blessed in that I've been in a situation where I've been able to reinvest. So it is, hey, you know what? It would go a really long way if we were able to hire a chief technology officer. Should I pay myself a salary or should I hire a chief technology officer? Hmm. And so those are the types of decisions that we'll have to make. Now, having said that, um, you know, to that question around raising money. I do believe that in hindsight, um, the learning I've made, humble to the fact that I'm learning along the way, is in life, you know, there, not in life, but in business, there's two primary resources. There is time and there is money. Mm-hmm. So if you, for example, don't raise money, it may take you longer to get to your goals right. than had you raised money. And so now, fast forward 2023, over the next six months, I plan on raising a seed round of funding. Okay. Because what I recognize is actually, there's, in order for us to kind of see this out, there are a couple of other roles that we're going to need on the team. And sure. now that I've got two kids as well, I need to take care of myself as well right. before we kind of uh, get to that. And, uh, and So coming to that realization, it seems like this is good timing as you're kind of on, on the verge with all of this video content that you're now producing. But seeing where you are now, if you could go back a few years, would you have raised money earlier? Would you have cashed that check for 350000 I I think so so it's it's a great question. Um if Noor Kids was just the character building program today and if we raised $350,000 or however much that was to make our book successful, uh, we would have failed. There's just no doubt about it mm-hmm. because the business model is not 
it, it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not able to do it. Um, and I have learned this art of pivoting. And I think that art of pivoting is so important. You know, we talked about that molecule, problem, consumer, right. and solution. And now that I understand that, like if I had that piece of knowledge on my belt at that time, 100% we should have raised the money. But I didn't know that at that time. Mm-hmm. At the time I was like, you know, again, I, you know, I am a heads down like bull. It's like I will run through the wall like 10,000. We're going to get 10,000 members. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to focus on. But really what I should have been focused on wasn't on, hey, how do we grow this book business as big as possible? It is how do we solve this problem as best as possible and be humble to the fact that the solution could be different. Right. So I think that now that I have that information, we're at a place where raising money is the best thing we sure. can do. But you needed to go through that. Uh, people talk about innovating and iterating and pivoting all the time. But it's it's kind of like it's kind of like death, honestly. You know, people talk about it, but like when you've experienced it, like when like someone you love passes away and you're like, gosh, like this is real. Like it's going to happen, mm-hmm. you know? Similarly, this idea of pivoting, like when you've actually pivoted and successfully done it and you taste the fruit of that, it is like, wow, why didn't I do this earlier? And, uh, you know, yes, problem, consumer, solution. Like if one of those are off, you have to, you know, get it right. Mm-hmm. I I want to uh, bring this home by going back to that initial problem, and I want to go back to your own childhood, um, which, as you described, was was lovely and loving, um, but yet there was this, you know, kind of sense that you were a little different. Do you feel like today, when you think about your audience and the families that you're helping, have we made any progress since absolutely. you were a kid? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think. I think that the problem has evolved. Um, and uh, so what I would say is three things. Number one is I, I, I believe that um, in 2023, yes, there still is a issue around being confident who you are. It's irrespective of whether you're Muslim or Jewish or Christian or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Like middle school is tough for every kid. Yeah, absolutely. That has not changed. In fact, I think it's actually gotten a little bit more difficult with you know, technology and social media and stuff like that. That has not changed. But in the world of belonging and diversity and inclusion, I think we've made a ton of strides. And um, I, look, I believe that the mind of a child is where change begins. A lot of the biggest issues that our country, our society, our communities face today weren't created overnight. They were the result of years, decades of beliefs, of culture. And if we have the opportunity to plant the seeds of character, of citizenship, of, um, you know, values in these children, I think it's going to pay off in dividends. There's work to do. (laughs) There's work to do. And it's not just a faith-based thing, you know, at this point. Um, You know, I I, I do worry about our kids just generally. Um, Yeah. 
And, you know, one thing that I'll just share um, on the platform is this. New York Kids is great. You know, Mr. Rogers is great. You know, different schools, private school, whatever. They're all great. But the single most important variable, the number one thing that is going to influence our kids is their parents. And even that, it's quality time. And so to the degree that we as moms or dads can try to carve out quality time with our kids, um, that is how we can, you know, plant those seeds of love and, you know, give ourselves the best shot of a, you know, legacy. Yeah, absolutely. I think your mom would be proud. I hope so. I don't know. Yeah. Well, thank you for the work you're doing. It really is incredible. And I have no doubt that we're going to be seeing uh, more of your characters and stories on bigger and broader platforms very soon. I hope so. I hope so. If anyone wants to check out our work, it's norkids.com. We have a YouTube channel where we've got a lot of content. So if you want to see like some of the Treehouse episodes and like what that means... Uh, smash the subscribe button you know Uh, but no seriously do take a look at it and if you know anyone who might be interested uh, we're a small community here in Minnesota so feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn and I would love to chat well thank you I mean next time I want to I want to hang out in the treehouse let's do it okay let's let's do do it. it thank you for being here well, like Amin said, there is a ton of Noor Kids content that you can go check out online. And if you didn't get the gist of it from listening to Amin, he's very engaging. There's some really fun content to watch, I think, for people of all ages. But let's talk more about what he's done and building this social enterprise and really kind of being an overnight success a decade in the making. Let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, where Anne-Marie Thomas is a professor of entrepreneurship and has some thoughts on the choices that Amin has made. Anne-Marie, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. What an amazing story. Yeah, he's really impressive and it's, it's really cool what he's doing. So I'm curious, as a professor and somebody who, who studies and coaches entrepreneurs, what stood out to you about the decisions that Amin has made in building Kids? Amin has been so conscious and careful in how he's made choices that really shone through in your interview. Uh, I was super impressed to hear how thoughtful he and his brother were about what they wanted to pursue, Uh, not just looking to create any company, but wanting to create a enterprise that they really felt personally connected to and felt was an important mission to dedicate their lives to. He's made a lot of sacrifices for this. And hearing how they've been so conscious about who they take funding from, you know, keeping that check, their emergency check, but not cashing it. And instead, how really about that, really, right? Yeah, that I takes discipline. That. <laughs> I love that. But you have it there. And sometimes you just need that, that safety net. But you, it gives you the maybe, maybe a little bravery to make choices that are in line with the values for this organization that you're starting. And this is such a values driven organization that it's just, it's, brought a smile to my face to hear that they've given themselves the time to make those choices carefully. Right, right. Um, we talk so much about authenticity and and building purpose into business. I mean, what better example could you have than, I mean, you, you, you can't get much more authentic than building it on your own life experience. Absolutely. And especially right now in this, in this day and age, when we know that kids kids are really struggling in a lot of ways and trying to find meaning and social emotional learning 
it seems like he's really tapping into the whole team is tapping into a time and a place where this is really something families are looking for. Right, right. Um, in in terms of content, and in, it seems like he is on the verge. And obviously, they've published you know 140 books to date, but but video seems to be where it's at, and we're seeing so much change in that industry. What do you think is is streaming is streaming the answer? What an exciting time! I mean, he talked about all the different platforms: the parents are the Instagram, and kids are the YouTube. I think we're seeing streaming shaking things up in how in how videos are made and how kids get information. It seems like they are right on the edge here. That they 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 have been waiting their time and testing all these different platforms. But I think what an exciting time to be a young entrepreneur diving into this family media space. There are so many options, and it makes it easy to get in. It also feels a little scary. Like there, it's just it's a lot of work, and it's hard to break through all the clutter. What advice do you give young? Because I'm sure you you encounter a lot of entrepreneurs who think, oh, I you know I, I'm going to start a YouTube channel and I'm going to be famous and make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, and, and it often doesn't pan out. And I think what we what we started with here is that this is a company that means so much to its employees and founders that they're willing to put in the long nights and the, the long days and and the waiting and not diving diving into rough decisions because it means so much to them and this family right. story. And I think that's really important having that that drive that isn't just money, but having mm-hmm. a drive that you you're doing something that you think will help others. Uh, and right. so it's so it's. It's a great example of something that an entrepreneur is following their heart and following their own passions. And and the ability today to set it up as a social enterprise company, as a B Corp rather than a nonprofit. Is that the future? Is that the way to go? You know, all of the reasons he gives are good ones, that they can they can change things later. Again, this is such a thoughtful story. It's such a colorful and bright and cheerful product, but behind it is so much thought thoughtfulness, right? That I, I'm just so impressed by the very careful decisions made along the way. Maybe when this when this takes off, it'll seem like an overnight success. But now thanks to this interview, we know that it's been over a decade, right? Of careful decisions and hard work. So stay true to yourself and be willing to put in the hard work. That's the answer. Exactly. Thank you, Anne-Marie. We appreciate your time and perspective. And thank you once again to our partner, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship. If you want to know more about the show, go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. You'll find past episodes, professor perspectives, and so much more. Thanks again for listening to By All Means. to make By All Means, and we've got some all-stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Meepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business and Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, especially Associate Dean Laura Dunham for all their support. Our theme music is by Song Finch. Thank you for listening to By All Means. By All Means.